Dr. Pete Economo, the East Coast Psychologist. And I'm Dr. Nikki Rubin, the West Coast Psychologist. And this is When East Meets West. In today's world, we're thinking a lot about social inequity and the impact that that has and over the time and years. Today, Nikki and I are, are discussing the systemic racism and the issues that are alive today. Hey, Nikki, this is hey, uh, another one of those like really challenging tech conversations where I'm not, th- uh, I'm almost like not thankful to have a PhD where we're expected to know how to talk about this. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and look, I think one thing that you and I committed to when we decided we were going to do this podcast that we wanted to make sure we returned back to these topics that, yeah. you know, we, we uh, spoke about this uh, first in our third episode in race and power. Right. And, you know, this is not a, this is not a one-time discussion, right? But uh, that's one thing we want to model for listeners, right? Is that we want to continue to return to these really difficult conversations because they're important and we can't, you know, expect any kind of movement in them if we're not willing to step into the discomfort and get curious and, and honestly just begin to talk about it. Right. Yeah, and, and and just to clarify, it was episode four was race and power. For oh, my my apology, <laughs> my apology. Yes. listeners that <laughs> my, want to my go. Memory, for... <laughs> my memory, my memory's good, close. but not perfect. I was close. I was <laughs> close. Really yeah. Close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right. We're going to have to keep returning to this. And I think yeah. you know today we're going to look at sort of just three groups. Uh, and so I think in terms of our episode three with race and power, I I don't know. That we didn't talk a lot about D'Angelo's white fragility, but right, I think that's no, a lot yeah. of what we're saying is like here we are again, two privileged white folk that are having this conversation. Correct. About what social inequity looks like when. And on some level, I've had a silver spoon, uh, you know, so yes, Absolutely. I've worked hard and I've had a silver spoon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. and that is, and yes, and I think acknowledging concretely again, yeah, that we are white, yeah, right? right? We we do uh, experience and, and benefit from white privilege, even yes. if it is particularly in our field, which we talked about in that episode. And right. so, you know, that doesn't mean then that we um, were as as I think this is part of recognizing white privilege, that doesn't mean that we're exempt from having these conversations. In fact, it's extremely important that we do continue to acknowledge that and right. and step into it. We're leaning into that vulnerability. Hey, Nikki. we 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 are vulnerable. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, yeah, because you know, a lot of times you feel uncomfortable and you just feel like you're putting yeah. your foot in your mouth. And I know that sometimes that in my work, especially with people of color in the in the sports world, yeah, uh, I, I feel both empowered and also really vulnerable to be able to you know be an ally. So I was telling you as we were thinking about this episode that, mm-hmm. and I just read in New Jersey there is a is a group for. Um, black coaches. And so I've, I've mm-hmm. reached out to them once I learned about them, you know, to see if I could be a, a, a part as an ally. And, yes. and I think maybe today we'll talk a little bit about allyship, but uh, so for the purpose of this episode, our other motivation is that we're, we're recording this the day after the, uh, you know, announcement of the Brianna um, yes. Taylor, you know, murder. Uh, and so some of this, you know, issues related to uh, police brutality uh, and Louisville kind of with them in, in that state and in that city in our hearts right now, because it's, yes. it's really a, a challenging time. And a, uh, and a pain and a painful time. A really painful time. A really painful time. You're really good about that. About that, you know. That's part of the allyship is being able to try and at least walk with that pain, right? Yeah, and what, and not and not turn away from it, yeah. right? And that's yeah. and that's a lot of what we do in both, you know, mindfulness practice, right? And what we what we uh, teach in cognitive behavioral therapies is this willingness to step into discomfort, and when 
when other humans are suffering, you know, Pete and I operate from the perspective that not just as psychologists, as, as humans ourselves, right. For some foremost, it is part of our value system to choose to, to be present to, to the pain and suffering of others. Yeah. And so there's lots of other others. Uh, so yes, I think there are. You know, mm-hmm. for us to identify that there are, you know, there's federal definitions for what diversity is, you know, and that includes lots of groups like race, ethnicity, gender, religion, class, ability, socioeconomic status, which is class, sexual orientation, gender identity, mm-hmm. some of which are under under attack. Uh, yes. you know, and mm-hmm. so I think that's also part of the, the systemic social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so in particular, you know, so, but for this episode, uh, we're going to just highlight race, ethnicity, gender, and, and class. And mm-hmm. so maybe those are the, the, part, the points that we'll take uh, as we really try and break down a little bit about the psychology of social inequity uh, and how that has really led to this, uh, I don't know, century long or just since, since the establishment. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. beyond, I mean, I mean, honestly, we, we can say, I mean, in, for in our, for all time, I was going to say, for all time, yeah. I mean, we've been talking about recently beginning to, you know, at least, you know, uh, the white, white people recognizing more accurately that in, in the United States, this has been going on since, you know, for 400 years since, you know, you know, people came over to, um, you know, since the, the first, uh, European white settlers came over, um, you know, colonized, frankly, um, uh, the land that, that we live on now, uh, that this is an inherent part of the systems that we operate within. And so social inequity is built into our systems. And I think that's been something that a lot of folks, you know, particularly, you know, white folks have had a hard time acknowledging, frankly. Yeah, we have. And if I think about this developmentally, so think about developmental psychology, Mm -hmm. it's interesting because I think that there's a a change or just uh, there's different opinion for when this starts. I don't know if you're familiar with any of that research, but like I think they say race that like that infants can be categorized by race starting around like three to six months old. Yeah. Yes. I am familiar with some of this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but then I was, cause as I read that, I'm like, yeah. And, but I think gender identity is like later. So that's sort of interesting too, to think about how our brains interact with some of these categorizations and developmentally how that's even happening. And, you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, yes, I think it's important what you're saying. Cause you're, you're weaving in. There is, um, it is important to acknowledge that, we've talked about this before on the podcast, like brains, brains do categorize, right? Right. We chunk information. Um, This is, you know, why we um, unfortunately stereotype, right? Right. Because it's, it's in the short term an easier way to process information, right? It's less, there's less data, right? right? And as, you know, hopefully most people will recognize and agree with stereotypes are not accurate, right? You can't, you, you can't capture, you know, the complexity groups. of, a, no, and the complexity of human beings yeah. um, with, you know, let's say like three pieces of information. That's, that's, nobody's that, that simple at, at all. Um, so, so the brain is hardwired to err on that side. Right. And of course, since we live in a society of human beings that all err on this side, of course, society is going to unfortunately in you know not not necessarily intentionally though sometimes it sometimes, is intentional yeah. sometimes Racism. it is intentional race correct sometimes <laughs> it is intentional to structure uh, inequity yeah. into the system because 
you know, again, that I guess we should bring in hierarchy here too. Like brains also like hierarchy. It's like, this is good. This is bad. This is better. This is worse. And you know, we're a, we're a society made of humans. And so. Well, and so one of the things you just brought up to me was implicit bias. So I yes. think because what you're saying like brain, so brains like categories, they're like hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And what we, what is another piece of the brain is this implicit bias of whether, yes. or what level do these occur? So for kids developmentally, we see around six months to one year is when they start to recognize skin color. Yep. Between ages two to three, they start to vocalize the differences. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then this is really where the key comes in that from between ages four to six, they start to uh, attribute positive traits to people of their own ethnic group and negative traits to people that look different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that that's really critical as you think about this developmentally, because also that's just the, the brain developing. But then if you think about uh, that's the, not the, so, the social component. The social right. component right? Well, and I think it's important to mention, and, and some of our listeners may be familiar with this, but there's actually something called the, you know, like the implicit bias test that you yes. can take it online at Harvard. And the website is actually implicit.harvard.edu. Okay. And you can actually assess your implicit bias. So a lot of people, you know, like to, I would say, believe a story about themselves that they don't have any biases, right? Especially somebody, let's say that values, um, equity, right? Yes. That that is not right. That values yeah. social and racial justice. Uh, you know, and I hear this from a lot of people and they'll say like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have bias or, you know, I really work on my bias you know, you may work on your bias and you may value equity and, and racial and social justice. And, and you're still biased. Yes, correct. <laughs> and you're still biased. And I think that's really important that part of yeah. what Pete and I do in general, and we of course do it in, in uh, terms of acknowledging, uh, you know, our limitations and, and biases and struggles when it comes to, uh, you know, racism, sexism, you know, all, all the isms here, right, is that we have to first be able to acknowledge that this this is something that we're all struggling with. We have to be well, aware of that, to I work we, on it. We need to define it too. So implicit yes, bias fair. is a, a lack of awareness of our biases. Yes. That, mm-hmm. Frankly, if I'm saying I'm not biased, and I, I said this in class the other day because I think historic, and I, I don't know if you were trained this way, but when I was trained, it was like, you don't bring yourself in the room. You know, you leave yourself at the door. And now knowing what I know today, and especially just with the work we do in mm-hmm. third week CBT, all of me is in the room. That's right. Well, when I say that, I I was I wasn't trained as much that way. I would say that that comes from a psychoanalytic tradition, which is a right. Freud. You know, Freud. Everybody we knows still Freud. Haven't gotten to that episode. Yeah, we will. We will get to that episode. <laughs> I, I have loads to say about it, as as, as you might imagine. Yes. Uh, for, that was um, part of that you're supposed to be like a blank slate in the room, yeah. and that sort of trickled down into psychology and in in third wave CBT we really do not emphasize that because we say you're a human in the room. Yeah, yeah. You, you have, you have all of your context, all of your sociocultural factors and aspects and experiences are just as much present as your patients. Right. Right. Yeah. And so the implicit bias is something that we all have. And so we're trying mm-hmm. to raise it to a conscious level. And so that's, you know, and so I think that's part of where D'Angelo talked about white fragility because it's mm-hmm. hard for people to embrace that. Yes. You know, but it's like when I see, you know, and I, and I noticed this, Often, you know, if I yeah. see someone um, who doesn't look like me speaking without an accent, there's a part of me that I, in my head, I'm like, oh, wow, they speak really great English. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I was, that's a microaggression. I don't say it out loud. I notice it myself because absolutely. now I'm trained yes. to realize that I still hold these beliefs. Yes, absolutely. You know? yeah. Absolutely. And, and it, 
I think it's important to, again, coming back to this uh, willingness to be uncomfortable, right. right? If you are willing to first recognize you're going to have uh, either overt or implicit biases, right? Mm-hmm. Based on this biased system that we all operate within. When that shows up, and I like your example, Pete, of you know noticing like when you have that thought, like, oh, that person speaks really good English. Okay, like you're not that might make you uncomfortable that you have that thought that right. you're not running away from it. You're curious about it. It's like, oh, there's, okay, like that. They don't look like me. They don't look like me. Okay, let me understand why might I have that thought? Why? Right. And I and I myself have had similar thoughts, right? Well, that, and that, I talked about that with my brother recently where part of why mm-hmm. I had that thought was because my grandparents, when they migrated to the U.S., said very many racist things. And so I grew up in an environment where there were racist things said. And I remember them. I remember them clearly. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I'm thankful that I've done this training and that, you know, especially within my current family system that we can have these conversations, you know, Mm -hmm. in particular, a conversation we had recently was why aren't there more black coaches? Yes. Right. In in, in professional sports. Well, and we can say that then we said this in our race and power episode, why aren't there more black psychologists? That's right. Right. Why aren't there more, um, mindfulness, uh, leaders, practitioners practitioners that are, that are black. Right. And I do want to mention, as we've talked about this, like there's a wonderful organization called mindfulness for the people. That's a black owned social change agency that is from their website dedicated to disrupting systemic whiteness and the mindfulness movement. These are just important things to be aware of and keep them mindfulness, uh, mindfulness for the people. So mindfulness for the people.org. Check out our description to get their links to their websites. Absolutely. Uh, that, this is pervasive, you know, yeah. that this is pervasive that, uh, you know, a, a white experience or white lens dominates all of these aspects. And if we're not willing to notice that and be aware of it, there's no way to change it. And this is true about anything. If you don't, not aware of your anxiety, yeah. how are you going to work on regulating your anxiety? We have to be aware first. You got to be aware. And, and oftentimes they're, they're linked. So I, I mentioned all those categories earlier today, mm-hmm. and it's not just these discrete categories. So I think that's one of the challenges yeah. like, for example, with, with Brianna Taylor. It's not just her blackness, you yes. know, you know, with gender, gender class, there's a lot that goes into that dynamic and it's a tough conversation to have. And I'm, I'm not going to go into this, but I had a, a guest speaker, um, King Mott, who is a uh, you know scholar in gender, um, in queer and and women's mm-hmm. studies, mm-hmm. Uh, and so really his whole life and publications have been about the sort of inequities related to mm-hmm. you know LGBTQ, but also gender studies. And in particular, what he says of Black Lives movements, one of the really key components was when these things get sexualized, people run away from them. And so mm-hmm. that was the secondary movement that was built out for tra- Blacks' transgender lives matter, mm-hmm. right? But then the BLM movement really was uncomfortable because the sexualization of things. So the, the, I think the key there is these are really complex conversations. And again, we've had the, we've had the episode on communication, which is also, again, really challenging for people, but it's about, you know, when I talk to somebody, it's not about like, Hey, I'm right or wrong. Let me teach you. It's let me understand your, your belief. Absolutely. Episode nine, we talked about communication and that was about like open-ended questions. Can I ask with curiosity? You know, I love curiosity. (laughs) You know, you know, I love curiosity. I do. It's because it's so foundational to taking in more information. So, you know, this Western piece here that helps us understand some of these inequities is that the brain isn't always that curious, right. right? I think I think as humans, we think of ourselves as very curious, and and we certainly are to some degree. Though there's this, you know, 
uh, like contradictory component to how we're wired, which is like, but we also want to be comfortable and we want to stick to what we know and what's familiar. We want to categorize and that shuts down curiosity. And when our curiosity is shut down, we're not able to take in more information. And when we can't do that, we we don't understand. And that actually moves us away from empathy for others. Well, I was also thinking with that, like curiosity is also about maybe intellect a little bit. I I know it's not going to be a Mm. really wise sort of accepted thing, but Mm. if I think about the spectrum in which people present intellectually, probably the more intellectual people like uh, average to above average are going to be more curious potentially, right? Because they're that's, right? that's probably true. That's probably Which, true. I want to link that to class because, you know, part of IQ is about access to education and your, you yeah. know, which is all based on class. What can I afford? Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, and this is probably another episode, uh, you know, we can't, a lot of big topics we're addressing today. You yeah. know, IQ isn't the same thing as intelligence, no. right? IQ no. is, is this construct that, that was again, is by white psychologists. Co- correct. <laughs> yeah. So, so, we we can cultivate curiosity as oh, a behavior, totally. you know. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, Pete. I'm thinking um, as we're talking about this. I'm I'm really uh, very curious to know what Buddhism would say about equity here, because I'm imagining that there's probably quite oh, yeah. quite yeah. a lot there. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and so the the bottom sort of foundational thing is that everyone's equal, you know, mm-hmm. because our suffering is equal, but there's some really good definitions around it mm. whereby th- you really focus on equanimity, which tends to be mm. more like a equanimity. spiritual, yes. This like spiritual yeah, I like that concept. Word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it is one of the four sublime attitudes. Uh, so within Buddhism, we have these attitudes in which people study, but equanimity is this idea that like, you know, and I know you've referenced this about spiritual economic, uh, you know, equality, mm-hmm. and, and we'll get to that in a second. But it is the ground for wisdom and freedom, uh, and the protector of compassion and love, which I really, mm. really love. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that the idea is like the Buddha described the mind filled with equanimity as abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Mm. So who the hell, you know, who doesn't want that? I'm yeah, say no. Again. <laughs> yeah, say it. Yeah, I would like to say it again. Yeah. Abundant, exalted, immeasurable, and here's the key, without hostility and without ill will. Mm. Because I feel like that's what I'm that's what I'm responding to the most. You and I, you know, uh, pre-production, we yes. talked about how really we've we've everyone we're encountering clinically is bringing this up it, no matter they what are. race, ethnicity, class, mm-hmm. sexual orientation. It's it, this is affecting everybody because there's so much ill will and hostility right now. Yes. And that's what we're responding to. And so whether it's um, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, you know, whether it is uh, here at Rutgers, we're about to celebrate 10 years of Tyler Clementi who uh, was a gay student who uh, you know yeah. killed himself after his sexuality was put on, on um, you know, social media by his roommate. Mm-hmm. So there's all these things that still keep happening. Uh, and so equanimity within the Buddhist world, which I find through stillness, mm-hmm. I also gain it through wisdom and compassion, really creates abundance and uh, eliminates hostility and ill will. So I don't know. Um, sign me up for that. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, I think that's very uh, beautifully defined. And I, what I like is that this, again, lack of ill will is tied to abundance and exaltation. It's like the, right. the, the word that actually I was going through in my mind as you were reading that was there's like such an expansiveness and an openness. Yeah. And I think if we, and you know, hopefully this doesn't come off as cheesy to listeners though. I think if oh, we think about, it. I know if we think about love, yeah. right? Love is expansive, right? It love is. is, there's, there's, it's a, 
sometimes I say to patients, it's like a bottomless well, like oh. all that, like it's a bottomless well that there's- You and I have so much love for each other. We do, we do, we do, we do. Yeah. We really do, we really do, you know. But I like that, the bottomless well. It's like a bottomless well, There's, there's and there's no- yeah. um, there's not a limited amount of love in the world that we yeah. can always have more of it. And yet it can be very hard to access when we fall into these very human patterns of narrowness and, you know, simplicity maybe is a way to say it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so just to kind of uh, follow up on what you're saying about these spiritual equals, you know, yes. there's actually this, this is, of course, going to really overlap with with mindfulness and and behaviorism. But uh, but a but a former supervisor of mine, when we would talk about uh, hierarchies that exist in the world, including in the therapeutic relationship, we would talk about you know acknowledge. And this is kind of what Pete and I are talking about. We want to first be aware of where there's inequity. So yes. in therapy, like there's you know, if, if I'm sitting in the room, it's like there's the doctor and the patient. Mm-hmm. There's an inherent hierarchy right in that, right? Yeah. And what my uh, supervisor would say is we want to, we, we can't ignore that. We can't ignore no. that that exists. And yet we also want to simultaneously acknowledge that we are spiritual equals, that she yeah. would say, you know, when I go to my dentist, there's a hierarchy there. I, I don't, I'm not a dentist. My dentist, she's the one that is doing the teeth cleaning. And yet she's not worth more than me because she's my dentist, right? That's We're right. spiritual equals. And, and I always think about that. That's something that we want to come back to when we find ourselves pulled into whatever hierarchy our brain is attaching to remembering. And, and we're all human here. That's right. right? Yeah. We're all yeah. That was beautiful. That's a, that's a great supervisor. She is an excellent supervisor. Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah. it stuck with me all these years. Well, Nikki, you and I could keep going on. I think we'll have to, okay. you know, and like we said, that's our commitment in this in, in this podcast. And so we will have others. I, I know we didn't even get to, to gender. And so maybe we'll just do our next episode can be on that. And, and frankly, there are going to be many listeners that feel like we didn't do justice um, to Black Lives Matter, to Breonna Taylor, to class issues. But again, I'm hopeful that you were able to take something away from this where just think about your implicit biases, recognize them. We do not eliminate them. And if you think about creating just equanimity, you'll find psychological stability. This has been When East Meets West. I'm Dr. Pete Economo. And I'm Dr. Nikki Rubin. Be present, be brave. This has been When East Meets West. All material is based on opinion and educational training of Drs. Pete Economo and Nikki Rubin. Content is for informational and educational purposes only.